Big blue heron was standing in the marsh, looking at his reflection in the water. He raised his black-crested head to listen. Two little white weasels had come along to the river. They were mother and son. When they saw Blue Heron, they stopped to look at him. What a beautiful big bird person, said the son. He is called Blue Heron. He carries his head high. Yes, mother, he's as tall as a tree. Were I so tall, I could carry you across this swift river. Blue Heron was pleased to hear himself so praised. He liked to hear others say he was big. He bent down low and spoke to the two. You know, I can help you across. Come down to where you see the old tree lying in the stream. I will lay down in the water at the end and put my bill deep into the bank on the other side. You two can run across the tree, then use my body as a bridge, and you will get to the other side. They all went down to the old tree lying in the water. Blue Heron laid down in the water at the end and stuck his bill deep into the bank on the other side. Mother and son White Weasel ran lightly and quickly across the log over Blue Heron and were safe and dry on the other side. They thanked Blue Heron and said they would tell all the creatures in the woods how fine Blue Heron was, and then they went on their way. The old wolf had been standing on the river bank, watching how the weasels had gotten across. What a fine, easy way it would be for me to cross that river. I don't feel much like swimming. When Blue Heron came back to the marsh, Wolf said to him, Now I know why you Blue Herons are in the marsh, so you can be a bridge for the rest of us to cross the river. I want to go across, but I am older and my bones hurt. You lie down in the water for me so I can cross. Blue Heron was angry. He didn't like being called a bridge, and he didn't like it assumed that it was his obligation to the heavy, big old wolf. Old Wolf saw he had spoken foolish words and decided to back him up a little bit. He sweetened his words. You are big and strong, Blue Heron, and that is why your body is such a fine bridge. You could carry me across like a feather. Of course, this didn't sound like much more than a patronizing tone, so Blue Heron smiled in a sly manner and said to Wolf, Okay, old Wolf, get on my back, and I'll carry you across. Wolf grinned from ear to ear, thinking how easy it was to trick this Blue Heron. He jumped on the bird's back, and Heron went down into the rushing river. When he got to the middle, he stopped. Oh, friend wolf, said the blue heron, you made a mistake, I'm afraid. I am not strong enough to carry you all the way across. For that, you need two herons. I can carry you only halfway. Now you must get another heron to carry you the rest of the way. He gave his body a strong twist, and wolf fell into the water. You can wait here, wolf, for another heron to come and carry you to the other side and then he flew away into the marsh. The water ran swiftly. No heron came, so where did Wolf go? To the bottom of the river. Never assume one cannot sense a manipulative insult.
This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller and a lover of nature. One of my favorite birds is the heron, and I'll be talking about this great blue creature today. There's a giant blue heron who's lived on our property for over a decade. This one's been coming every single year for at least 10, and my relatives all know this bird like an old friend. When I moved back and first saw him, I was alone on my 13-acre plot, believing that I was seeing this once-in-a-lifetime thing. I'd never seen such a big blue bird in the mountains before. As soon as I told my relatives, though, they, they all knew the bird I was talking about before I even got the first sentence out of my mouth. Oh, yeah, he's been coming here for over 10 years. I was floored. Do they live that long? Are you sure it was the same one? I asked, and sure enough, if herons aren't killed by a predator, they can live up to 20 plus years. I think the oldest one ever recorded was 23. I started studying him when he would come to visit me. He was apparently used to people. He didn't seem to be shocked that I was watching him. He would walk down the river slowly, picking one foot up and then the other in slow motion. I got to see every single movement he made. He would walk along the river like this so as not to disturb it too much. He was looking for minnows, crayfish, turtles, snakes, anything they can fit into their mouth they'll eat. And the creek was full of living meals for a bird like that. And then the winter came, and he flew back in the cold to walk the creek again one morning. It was really early. I noticed his feathers looked cloudy, very dusty gray. And I wondered, do herons visibly age? Is he an old man now? And I looked it up. Apparently, they have what's called powder-down feathers. These are feathers close to their breast that don't molt or shed. Instead, these tips slowly disintegrate into keratin dust, and these feathers just continuously grow, the tips eventually turning into dust on and on and on, and the cycle goes that way. The heron will use this dust to clean himself with. If they get fish oils and muddy grunge all over them, they'll hold this powder in their beaks and run their feathers through it until it cleans away the filth. They've also been known to use the powder directly on the fish to clean the mud and the oil off before they do anything with them. If the fish is particularly, you know, swampy or grungy, to watch a heron in action, it's really a great reminder of how to watch and wait, to wait to get what you want and need. They have patience and focus, and they notice everything, but they hold back, and they conserve their energy until it's time to make a move, and then they use that energy, and it works well for them. They're fantastic fishers. They strike fast like lightning when they find that perfectly timed moment. Opportunities are always around and they'll always present themselves, but a lot of these opportunities will be really subtle. We can't always expect that every door that opens to us is going to be this dramatic display and announce its arrival. <laughs> we have to learn to catch those little subtle things that can 
move by us quietly and completely pass us by unnoticed. Have you ever wondered why some people just seem to have so much luck in getting what they want, getting around, moving forward, making connections? It's because they're paying attention to every single little sign and every signal that presents itself to them. Even if it presents itself distantly, they're like a heron hunting carefully in the water, conserving their energy and watching and noticing the absolute right moment and then striking out to catch it like lightning. Sometimes you have to move fast when you see something you want. They're also very graceful animals, the herons, and their presence looks almost regal. You can't miss this bird. It seems to take up the whole territory with its beauty. And I know the one who visits my little riverbank is not shy. He knows I'm there, and he does his thing anyway. Now, if I get too close, he'll fly away, of course, but he's very aware of his surroundings. He knows what's going on. He knows he's not in danger. He just knows. It's almost arrogant, but he's so pretty. This part of his behavior reminds me that we're not meant to shrink and shy away just to try to keep other people from feeling insecure around us. I know a lot of people who feel that way, and I used to feel that way. But it doesn't help or serve anybody. You are meant to let your brilliance and your beauty and your talents out and share that with everybody around you because you have them, and they're a gift. Herons are solitary hunters, but they do nest in groups and and in large colonies. As a matter of fact, they're so social that when the group thing happens, they'll mate and stay with one bird for one season and usually pick another mate the next year. They have some (laughs) weird courtship rituals, too. The males play hard to get and gradually and slowly accept the female presence. They're pretty aggressive about it, too. Herons are pretty to watch, and I really like them, but I would not want to be a female heron. Their men are so cranky and arrogant and aggressive (laughs) during mating season. They're a lot like broody, angry artists. You know, great blue herons were always considered a symbol of good fortune. And this probably ties into the fact that they find their most opportune moments and time their actions so carefully when they hunt that they're very fortunate hunters and they're really resourceful. They've adapted to eat almost anything, and I've never heard tell of a starving heron. But that is an old superstition. If you happen to have an eye-to-eye moment with a heron, it's supposed to mean you're going to have good luck headed your way. And maybe that's true. I've had good luck since my heron friend has been visiting me. Now, back in the 1800s, these birds did not have such good luck. From about the 1890s on up until uh, 1918, 16 or 18, I believe, the, the millinery trade nearly wiped them out, especially white egrets. The millinery industry was hatters, hat making, So during this time, there was what they called the plume bloom. 
they were using feathers in women's hats. It was the in fashion, primarily in France, New York, and London. The killing of birds, almost any bird that was not protected, was bringing in a whole lot of money to this industry. Along with egrets and herons, where they got their osprey feathers, they were also killing condors, pheasants, parakeets, birds of paradise, toucans, hummingbirds, blue jays, even eagles, just about any bird. When I was researching this, I came across some really horrible old photographs. These hunters would kill egrets while they were nesting in their colonies, when they were at their most vulnerable, and they were almost entirely exterminated. Their young would then uh, die slowly of starvation. A lot of other species of birds almost went extinct, too. And then there was legislation passed that really didn't do much, and then protests that began a division between the genders, interestingly enough. Men were the first in line to protest the feather fashions, calling women who wore feathers evil in some way. And of course, there were the women who backfired with accusations of hypocrisy. Of course, men were the ones going out and doing the hunting in the first place, right? And yet there were so many women working in the hat factories, fashioning the hats and dyeing the feathers. It was a mess. Everybody was hypocritical. And like any protest or anything that pops up to stop heinous things from continuing, you always get a mess first before it all begins to calm down and even itself out. And because of all this reading I did about feathers and bird skins... Yes, they even stuffed birds and placed some of those on hats. I don't know if I could ever in good conscience put money down on a hat with a feather in it again. I have my own feathers. I have a flock of chickens who drop about 20 feathers a day. So if I want a feather for a hat, I know where to get one without killing another bird. You see, the main trouble with humans is that they just do things on such a large scale. It's never just a little here or a little there. It's big. When we do something, we do it on a grand scale. Fortunately, we do have plenty of pretty white egrets today. They would have died out first had it not been for those protests between men and women that probably turned a lot of marriages upside down for a while. I saw a white egret just uh, last year, actually. It landed in a tree above the water and we watched each other for a while. I think I even got a video clip of it somewhere. That bird wasn't too scared of me either. We were both curious of each other. The sense of emotional balance I've achieved since I've begun to listen to and let myself be taught by these animals, the weather, the way the river flows, it's priceless. The cuts and the bruises and the hacking my way through poison and weeds and briars taller than my head, it's all been worth it, worth the knowledge and the sense of peace that I've acquired since I've been here. And I want to keep sharing this with you every week. This is a listener-supported podcast, and there are three ways to support me, and one of them is entirely free. Share, share, share. Share the links. Leave reviews if you're listening on a network like Apple Podcasts. 
tell your friends or anybody that you believe would enjoy these. If you want to go a step further, there's a virtual tip jar and even a dollar a week is appreciated. For those who want more, I have a Patreon page and I'll be posting continuous personal little bits and pieces of my life on it. Sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's a picture. It's a little more personal and raw, not as dressed up. (laughs) And you'll get to see me dabble in my latest wild idea, making beer. (laughs) I'll also be adding a few more merchandise tiers to the mix pretty soon. Actually, I think they're up there already. This has been Natural and Wild with me, Christine Grayson. And I would like to thank my biggest supporters of this show, who have become my friends. People who support my family, too, which means the world to me. William Bishop, Bruce Presson, Chris Nolan, Arnold Bloom, Yvonne Ragland, Robin Umber, Sheila McGregor. Well, Sheila's my mother. Of course, she's my best friend, too. And she's going to be on Tawatha Dia's Patreon-only show soon, singing some songs from one of her old folk albums. Everybody takes super good care of yourselves. This worldly mess won't last forever. Hug your family, your dog, your cat, if it doesn't scratch. (laughs) And come back next week for another episode of Natural and Wild. Have a great weekend.